0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney
1: hello and welcome to another special edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am kieran mulvaney and we are back to talk about the third episode of the kings the showtime docu-series telling the story of the iconic 1980s four-way rivalry Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Uh, Shortly, we'll be joined by television producer David Dinkins Jr. to get his reflections and unique perspective on these great fights and fighters. But first, a quick rundown of what Episode 3 was all about.
2: This episode, titled The Will to Win, spans from the aftermath of Leonard's stirring win over Hearns in 1981 through another devastating KO loss for the hitman in his all-time classic 1985 war with Hagler. In between, Leonard contends with reaching a new level of superstardom, one that sees him palling around with President Reagan, but also contends with retirement due to a detached retina, not once, but twice over the course of the episode, leading him to lose his identity and struggle with drugs and domestic abuse. Hagler, meanwhile, is the victim of a humiliating publicity stunt that doubles as Leonard's first retirement. So with a fight with Leonard off the table, he takes on the other two kings, beating Duran in a closer than expected boxing match and Hearns by knockout at the end of eight furious minutes. Hearns begins the episode grappling with his loss to Leonard, but he bounces back to defeat Wilfred Benitez, to crush Duran in just two rounds, and to earn the aforementioned showdown with Hagler. And then there's Duran, who goes 0-2 versus his fellow kings in this episode but is nevertheless probably the episode's MVP, for reasons Kieran will go into shortly. <laughs> the episode ends after Hagler Hearns, with the looming specter of another Ray Leonard return, and the closing credits are set to the music of Barbara Streisand, whose penchant for retiring and unretiring draws a comparison to Sugar Ray from Steve Farhood. So that's the recap. Now for our six talking points, and Kieran, you get the honor of kicking us off with the moment everyone who has seen episode three <laughs> is talking about. Yeah,
1: uh, when we uh... I uh, chatted to the director, Matt Whitecross, a couple weeks ago. I mentioned to him that I thought Duran came across as the one who was most comfortable and at ease with himself and his choices. And that really shines through here in this episode. And of course, there is one aspect in particular I had in mind when we were talking to Matt. Um, and it's, com- it's his commentary on the build-up to his fight with Hearns and indeed the fight itself. He talks about how he was approached with an offer to fight Hearns when he was partying in Vegas. And his response was to have a week-long threesome in a Vegas (laughs) hotel room. And like Breadman Edwards said on our podcast last week, it makes me love him even more. (laughs) Uh, I especially love the way that he mentions how he was putting on weight and messing around while Hearns was whipping himself into shape by saying, yeah, well, that's Thomas Hearns. He was someone dedicated to his sport, and I was a shameless bastard. (laughs) Then he describes how during the fight, when it's obvious from the opening seconds that Tommy was going to kick his ass, he basically laughed to himself during the fight as Tommy's, like, beating him up, and he thought about those girls. Look, was one week of debauchery the only reason he lost the Hearns? No. But damn, I love the story. I love the matter-of-factness with which he tells it. To misquote Larry Merchant, Roberto Duran...
2: I love you. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So b- between uh, your description of it now and and Breadman's comments on it on a regular podcast last week, uh, this has pretty well been covered now. So just a, a few quick notes for me. First, it is impossible to hear this story and not think of Mo Green accusing Fredo Corleone of banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. Um. Second, and you kind of alluded to this, you know, people often point to Hearns Duran as a styles-make-fight situation, and it probably was, but you do have to pause and wonder how much of this result goes down to Duran's preparation and phoning it in. And third, I'd forgotten that Hearns Duran was called Malice at the Palace— I would be curious to hear our colleague Stephen Jackson of the All the Smoke podcast comment on that. Now, that might be an NBA reference that you don't get, Kieran. I'm not sure. But uh, as long as a few listeners get it, uh, I'm not going to bother explaining. That, 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 that huge brawl? Yes. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. It, it became known yes. as the malice at the palace, and uh, Stephen Jackson was uh, prominently involved. <laughs> uh, <there> you go. <laughs> All right. So you kicked it off with a universal pick for top moment of the episode and probably the series. Um I'm going to start with a personal pick, Bruce. Uh, Yes, early in the episode, we hear the sweet sounds of Springsteen as his 1980 hit Hungry Heart, Uh, not actually a favorite of any serious Bruce fan, but it's a fine pop song that he originally wrote for the Ramones, but his manager knew he'd written a hit and wouldn't let him give it away. Uh, Anyway, Hungry Heart plays very early in the episode. And it provides a soundtrack to part of a montage showing just how massive and mainstream a superstar Sugar Ray Leonard had become after beating Hearns. Uh, And some good observations by Steve Farhood mixed in there that Ray's superstardom fueled the other three rivals to want to fight him that much more Mm -hmm. and to hate him that much more. Uh, And then a great line from Steve, of the four kings, it's good to be the number one king. Uh, That sums up much of the series. You know, they were collectively the kings, but there was no question then, and there's no question now, who the headliner was.
1: Yeah, indeed. And I'm not a Springsteen guy, so I don't have much to say about that particular track. But it, but it does make me think, you know, want to again give props to to Matt and everyone involved for. There's so many easily overlooked elements of this series that are that are very very good. You know, um, we've already talked in previous episodes about the astonishingly good archival video research. But mm-hmm. yeah, look, the soundtrack generally you know the songs that they pick but also things like there's this use of a throbbing ominous helicopter-like tone to underlay a lot of the leonard scenes in this Mm -hmm. episode as he's sort of spiraling out of control Uh, some of the sound editing is sensational the sound when leonard spits into the bucket during the kevin howard fight or the silence and ringing when he's knocked down and uh, the way they bring up the volume of some elements to just the right points, lower the volume on others. And like I said, the soundtrack, you know, you mentioned Bruce, and like you mentioned earlier, ending this episode on the dry sand track. It isn't just the script. It isn't just the, the, the inherent storylines. It isn't just the fight. There are lots of really clever little things I think done with this that are very easily overlooked that you know, at the risk of you know just just making it sound like I'm, you know charter member of the Matt White Cross fan Club. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just it's an excellent, excellent piece of uh, filmmaking idea. Yeah. Um, one of the things that has most surprised me about this show is that I think that every week that we've discussed this, I have found myself favorably quoting Teddy Atlas. and again, you know, we touched on this a little bit with Matt, you know, while, You know, a lot of discussion and attention has been on the filmmaker's decision to look at the broader political context. It doesn't shy away from the issue of boxing's violence and morality, or indeed of boxing as a metaphor. And this episode opens with Atlas saying boxing is violent, but is it any more violent than society at large? And he mentions a friend who is shot dead in the street and he asks, is boxing really more dangerous than that? But there was another quote in there shortly afterwards that really that came home for me and and it was almost a throwaway quote from tommy hearns who said life is about dominating and i thought my god like boxing really is the perfect metaphor for the reagan era here it is constructed to ensure that the very few at the very top become insanely rich the vast majority at the bottom are poor The middle class has become basically extinct, and while there are some segments of boxing society looking out for others, you know, the trainers and cornermen, who are the functional equivalent of social workers, if you like, pretty much everyone else is solely out for him or herself. It's just those couple of quotes made me think, oh my gosh, the whole, like, putting this in a broader political context is perfect on all so many different levels.
2: Yeah, good observation. I'm almost surprised we didn't see a clip of Gordon Gecko saying greed is good somewhere (laughs) in here. That would have fit right in but yeah you uh, you singled out the teddy story quick snippet that, that really stood out to me that the that really hit me uh him talking about it. I think it was, I think he said it was a kid in his gym that yeah. that kid's dad got gunned down in the street and how could boxing possibly be worse than that um, you know it, it ties back into the way they ended the first episode with that sort of essay on on boxing boxing is violent it can shorten cognitive lifespans but it also saves lives and it allows someone like Sugar Ray Leonard to emerge as a symbol of that extreme capitalism that got a push in the 80s. Yeah. So, my next scene I'm highlighting is the Baltimore announcement, uh, the bizarre event Ray Leonard staged where Howard Cosell was hosting. It was a celebration of Ray and he invited Hagler. It was thought that maybe he'd announce he wanted to fight Hagler, and instead he says, Unfortunately, it'll never happen. And he's retiring because of his eye injury. I thought Matt Whitecross and his team did a great job presenting this in a way that if you didn't know going in what happened, it really built the suspense well before Ray's shocking twist of an announcement. And even if you did know all about it, it was well presented to make clear what an absolute asshole Ray was being. (laughs) Um, While admittedly high out of his mind, um, he, he told me for the oral history that He truly hadn't made up his mind before the event started, what he was going to say. And he was so high, he couldn't count on himself to say whatever he had intended. He he just wasn't sure. I'm not sure if I totally believe that Mm. he went out there, unsure of of which direction he wanted to go with it. I do believe the part about him being really high. Um, Whatever the case, I know I keep comparing this to The Last Dance, but... Mm -hmm. Just as Jordan is your central character, but also frequently the main heel, Uh, Mm. this was a big heel turn moment in the narrative for uh, for Ray Leonard.
1: Yeah, and, and I can't remember if we talked about this before already, but... While I was, of course, fully aware of the event and it happened, I prior to this, I hadn't seen any footage of it. I Mm. I wasn't aware of what an awful train wreck it was. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I certainly was. I knew that he had Hagler in the audience. I had no idea that Hagler climbed into the the ring there, the stage, and basically Mm -hmm. said, oh, man, we're going to make so much money together. It's going to be great. And again, props to the team here, the reaction shots of Leonard during that were fabulous and whether his reaction betrayed the fact that he knew that he was going to be disappointing everyone or whether he just didn't know where he was (laughs) one way or the other i thought those those shots were just really really well edited and, and really well put together and and i also liked the sort of the gentle tut-tutting, if you will, of the likes of Larry Merchant and Steve Farhood, who are just basically, yeah, this wasn't Ray's finest hour. Right. <Yep. laughs> um. By and large, I, I found that in many respects, this is maybe the most emotionally compelling episode uh, for me so far in that in the, the first half, perhaps, maybe certainly the first third, everybody, all of our main protagonists is down Hearn, as you talked about in the in your summary, Hearn is struggling with his loss to Leonard, Duran too, um, Hagler struggling to get a fight with Leonard, um, Leonard struggling with his own demons, and yet three of the four have really powerful redemption stories in, during this episode, you know, Hearn's beats Benitez, destroys Duran, wins another title, Um Hagler beats Hearns in that incredible fight. Duran destroys Davy Moore and, and puts in a surprisingly good effort versus Hagler. And, and I thought, obviously, poor old Davy Moore ended up being a tragic figure, but mm-hmm. but that sort of outpouring of emotion with around surrounding Roberto after that fight, I think, sort of highlighted again, as you said, he was like the episode's MVP. And what was interesting is the one person who, in this episode at least, has no redemption story is Ray Leonard, which is perhaps ironic given that. You know, so much of the narrative to this point is about how easy he had it relative to the rest and how the rest want to, want to you know, knock him off his pedestal. At the end of this episode, he's the one who's really down and out, and the others have, have all bounced back to some extent.
2: Yeah. Um, you're right to note the redemption arcs for, for three of the four. And, um, it just jumped out at me so strongly what a great job this episode did of digging into all four personalities. Um, yeah. we, we talked about Duran, and yeah, he kind of steals the show with his storytelling, but I feel like we get to know all four of these men really well in this episode, get a sense of what makes them tick. Yes. And yet the episode still makes time to go deep on the fights uh, and to cover the real-world issues from the Reagan stuff to the cia possibly or probably killing the panamanian leader Torrijos. um this is the best episode of the series i don't hesitate to say it um i I think this is the the best of the four episodes and it gives us a look at the marvelous lustrous mane of a prime nick charles uh it doesn't really tie in here but i just had to find a place to mention it damn what a head of hair he had on him Yeah, yeah. (laughs) okay final observation you can't screw up highlights of Hagler Hearns, obviously, and they don't, but I think it's worth noting how effectively the documentary lays out the build to that fight. We get Hearns smashing Duran, Leonard is out of the way for now, and Hagler Hearns is now the perfect fight at the perfect time, and the documentary gets you properly pumped for it. Uh, that said, one piece of criticism they fudge the timing a bit, setting the build to a fight that took place in April 85 against the backdrop of the 84 election mm. and even the 84 Democratic primaries with mm. Gary Hart and Jesse Jackson sneaking in there. Um, I think the actual election in November does come close to overlapping with when this fight was announced, but still, there's a bit of a reach timing-wise, although it all worked thematically. Um, But in any case, when the opening bell of Hagler Hearns rings in the documentary, you are properly fired up, so well done on that.
1: Yeah, I I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this before as well, but what I love, you know, is yes, they're looking at the broader picture in, in each episode, but the conclusion of each one, at least at this point, has been one of is one of the big fights between, right. uh, you know, two of these guys. And you and I have known the results of these fights for <laughs> 40 years. And I still was getting goosebumps with the build-up to each one of those fights that concluded the episode. Mm-hmm. I just thought the way that they developed it, the you know, the way they showed what was on the line and what was at stake even before they got to the actual fight itself. And, of course, the special difference with this one is it was so short and violent and fantastic that they were able to perhaps show a greater amount of the fight right. uh, than they were of any of the others. But, but it was great. I, I thought it was fantastic the way that I was. I had nervous anticipation as they built up to fight that I've known the result about since I was 10. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, well, 13, let's be fair. Right, so. okay.
2: <laughs> you didn't know the result
1: of the fight before it happened. <laughs> right, okay. Exactly.
2: Exactly.
1: Um, all right. Look, our guest this week is someone who was intimately involved with several of the fights involving the Four Kings. He was the producer of Leonard Hagler, Leonard Hearns II, and Leonard Durant III. And he has been an award-winning producer of sports broadcasts generally and boxing broadcasts in particular for several decades. He is senior vice president and executive producer of Showtime Productions, David Dinkins, Jr. David, welcome to the podcast.
0: Well, very good to be with you, gentlemen.
2: Um, so I understand that, that you and Ray Leonard are good friends and still play tennis with each other. Um, I'm curious yeah. for your thoughts on Ray, the person, as he's presented in the documentary series. Do, do you feel like we're getting an accurate depiction of him? And, and, and how does it feel to relive moments like the Baltimore press conference where this friend of yours was, frankly, being kind of a jerk?
0: Ray is uh, uh, a very complex individual. Uh, He and I go back a very long way. When I was a uh, PA at ABC Sports, one of the first uh, jobs I had was working on his pro debut. Mm. So that's how far back we go. And I think, you know, like many of us, especially people that are in the public eye, um, you have to put on different faces. I think he's always true to himself, but there's the the big smile and the cover boy, the husband, father, son, brother, uh, friend to many people. And then there's the, the public persona and the competitor. And I, th- I think that people don't realize that the fire that burns within him as a competitor and the toughness that he had. I think people think of that uh, automatically with Duran and Hagler and Hearns because of the way they fought and the, the image that they put out there when they were outside the ring. But, but Ray was a tenacious competitor. Um, still fights pretty hard on the tennis court. And <laughs> um, I, I think he's more, maybe a little biased because I know him better, but he's more complex than, mm-hmm. than the other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think in his own way, um, you know, more honest because of the complexities.
2: Yeah, and and I think that you know I highlighted the probably the most negative part of him that's shown in the documentary, the Baltimore mm-hmm. thing. But he pretty much ever since then has expressed regrets about that. It's not like it's he embraces being the jerk. He kind of knows that he was. Uh, would you say and and um, isn't typically that person?
0: No, and and um, Ray will be one of the first to tell you that he's made some mistakes in his life, and and he regrets those, um, but. I look at the totality of the person. I look at the totality of my friend. I've never had anything but a positive relationship with him. Right. So, um, you know, coming from uh, a family that has been in the public eye, um, that uh, there's a lot you have to put up with, a lot of things that uh, you feel comfortable sharing and things that you don't want to share. Right. And uh, people ask a lot of people in public life, and, and Ray has been in that spotlight uh, since he was a very young man, more so than the other guys, much right. more so than the other guys.
1: Right. As, as I mentioned at the top of the segment, you produced some of the fights between the Kings, including the one that is in many ways, I think, like the emotional crescendo of, of the whole thing, the one, the final showdown finally that happened between Ray and, and Marvin Hagler. How high does that fight rank in, in your illustrious career in terms of producing a fight and feeling that you were, producing something that was more than a fight, that it was something that the whole world was stopping to watch.
0: Interesting that you say it that way. Um, if you guys might be a little too young to remember all the lead up to that, the, the, the circus atmosphere. Ray was coming back, going to fight at middleweight. Mm. Hagler was perceived as invincible. They had been stalking each other for years and finally it was going to come to fruition. Uh, a lot of people thought Ray didn't have a chance in that fight.
1: Right.
0: Um, Ray told me, uh, look, you know, honestly, I, I don't know what's going to happen when the bell rings. You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, he, he might just, you know, just, just like savage me. You know, Hagler took a different tactic, as we all know, and, and tried to box with Leonard instead of just try to, you know, just gangster him like he wound up doing with Herms. And if he'd maybe taken that tack, we'd be having a different conversation about mm-hmm. that fight. But you know who knows. But um, I think that the, the the lead up to the event, I don't know if the fight could have ever lived up to all that buildup. There was so much drama around it, and as as you know from covering the sport, uh, it's great when the expectation is met with the result in the ring. But it's so hard to to, to get to that point. Mm-hmm. It, it was a good fight. I think it was uh, more interesting that those were the tactics that Marv decided to to try to box with Ray to show him a lesson. I can outbox Ray Leonard, you know, and it kind of played into Ray's hands and Ray was able to steal rounds in the last minutes of rounds with flurries and such. And I I do believe that uh, judges are human. And when an underdog performs above expectation, they get disproportionate credit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a close fight. I could see it going either way. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've watched it thousands of times. And uh, some days I think, oh, yeah, Hegler got him. And others, oh, yeah, Ray, Ray did just what he needed to do to when. So I think the, the somewhat controversial result added to the mystique of it a bit. But um, that, that was a tough fight to live up to expectations right. overall.
1: Right. Well, what was the reaction like for you and in the truck as as it unfolded and you realized you were getting, as you said, very few people thought that Ray had a chance and realized that you were getting a shockingly effective performance, first of all, by him, and that then we were building to some kind of controversy. Or were you just so focused on producing the show, you weren't able to have those kind of thoughts?
0: Well, that, that it turned out to be a very competitive contest. And it wasn't the blowout that some people thought. Mm. Uh, I, I remember people, uh, the day before at the weigh-in and Hagler looked ready. He looked ready to go right then, you know, and it was, wow, man, it's, it's, it's watch out tomorrow. And, and Ray was very calm, very composed, but, but Hagler was like frothing at the mouth. And, um, as, as it unfolded, it was, yeah, this, this is, this is close. This is competitive. Mm. This is uh, and again, you know, when he performed above what I think many people had expected, he was a he was a betting underdog. I don't know what the odds were, but he was a significant underdog. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not talking Buster Douglas here, but we're talking about he was an underdog. Yeah. Yeah. So when you that's one of the great things about sport, when the unexpected happens, Mm. it was uh, legendary figures in, in a long awaited showdown. I'd say it lived up to that part of the expectation and with be the, uh, the result being the Leonard upset. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's boxing history, mm-hmm. boxing lore.
2: So looking back, not, not just on a, a single fight, but sort of on the, the era as a whole, I mean, everybody who works in boxing or is a fan of boxing mm-hmm. really seems to pine for that era. Um, in your view, yeah were the fights or the fighters actually better then, or is the main thing people pine for the way that boxing seemed to matter more than, and was more mainstream at the time than it is now?
0: Well, don't you think it's a little bit of all of it? Yeah. I mean, these were you know, hall of fame, great fighters. And, uh, you know, Duran went from uh, lightweight up to, I think uh, super middleweight and uh, Hagler campaign solely as a middleweight, uh, Ray and Tommy started as welterweights and got up to, uh, light heavyweight in of, of a fashion. Um, but they were, they were the Kings of that era and they were ready to fight each other. And, and the, the round Robin part of it made it very interesting. Some beat others, uh, Duran and Hearns had worse records in the head to head, but those fights were damn exciting. And, they, were, they weren't afraid. They wanted to get in there. I think Tommy would still fight anybody today. <laughs> no. yeah, Sadly, we had- Marvin's no longer with us. Um, Ray, I think, feels he's had his time. Uh, Duran, uh, you never know with him. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know with
2: him. Right. Yeah, it's funny that you say that about Tommy because we had Jackie Callan on the podcast last week mm-hmm. and she said basically the exact same thing that yeah. Tommy still thinks he could go out there and, and beat anyone and knock anyone oh, out if sure. you give him the chance.
0: For, for sure. I, I think, you know, he's probably looking for Jake Paul's phone number. <laughs> yes.
2: Um,
1: you mentioned Roberto as well. And, and in episode three, really Duran's interview clips steal the show in, in many ways. Uh, how well did you get to know him over the years? And, and had you known him to be really the great raconteur that he comes across as, as in this documentary?
0: He's a fascinating man. Yeah. Um, he, he's uh, that intense, fierce, fighter that he was in the ring Uh, away from the ring um, uh, just a a fun guy you know a a fun guy just he he enjoyed life Um, uh, I I think it was interesting that both he and Hagler in the ring fierce fierce competitors outside the ring uh, especially you know Marv He, he was he was as nice a guy outside the ring as he was Fierce competitor in the ring and um, Roberto Duran. Uh, how can you take your eyes off him? You know, right. he's, he's just a, uh, again, uh, I'm sure before your guy's time, uh, lightweight, he was just uh, a human buzzsaw. I don't know if, if there was a better lightweight ever Indeed. than him. Indeed. And then, yeah. you know, moved up and up and up. And he made the jump from lightweight right up to Welter to fight, uh, Ray and, and I did the, the fight when he, uh, upset, uh, Iran Barkley mm. and, uh, I was at the fight with Davey Moore All and, right. uh, those were like, you couldn't believe what you were seeing. Mm. You, you couldn't believe it. He was, he was supposed to be just the, the stepping stone to up and coming guys to put notches on their belts. And, uh, it, when he was ready to fight, you had your hands full. I think there were some times maybe where frankly, he wasn't as ready as others. Yeah. Right. For, for, Whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> As he discusses
1: Whatever. in this episode. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that uh, Duran Barkley was another one of the uh, his- historic fights that, that you worked. Um, yep. You were not the producer on Hagler Hearns. I'm sorry to remind you of that. I don't mean to, to rub it in, but uh, you no, can't- we can't no. work them all, I guess. But I'm curious, were you there in Vegas that night?
0: No, but I, I saw it at Radio City Music Hall hmm. in the okay. closed circuit there. And I remember walking out on the sixth Avenue after that fight, like I had been shot with electricity, (laughs) like, like a triple espresso or something. It was just a (laughs) buzz. Uh, It it was wow. You know, just, just wow. It's, it's, it's like, even though I was there in person, saw it on the big screen, it was wow.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Can you remember what was, what the atmosphere was like in, in radio city during that first round and what was going through your mind as you're watching that first round happen?
0: It, it, it just, it, it was like a, 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 spaceship taking off, mm. you know, three, two, one liftoff and, <laughs> yeah. and, and kaboom. And then, uh, when there was that, that big exchange where, you know, Hagler gets hit and he's like, well, I better do something about this, you know, and then the, the blood comes and he said, well, I really better do something about this and you know, wow. And, and Tommy was one of those guys, uh, a good friend of mine, Akbar Muhammad that worked for top rank for many mm-hmm. years. Um, Hearns was one of his favorite fighters because he was just kill or be killed. And Tommy was going to just be a highlight reel one way or the other. Right. And that's what he gave you that night. you know. Um, one
1: final question. It's from a somewhat different perspective. Uh, if there's one element to the series, that's a little bit polarizing. It certainly isn't for Eric or I, but it's the way that the filmmakers look at these stories through the lens of political developments at, at the time. And as a member of a very political family, um, mm-hmm. and your father became mayor of New York City right at the tail end of, of the period covered in of this series, well, what do you think about that decision to sort of to place it in this broader political context? And how do you think they did?
0: Well, I think those were very interesting times. And I, and I think to use sport and personalities as reflections of the larger uh, time mm. and, and country and world, I, I think it's a very clever device mm. because I, uh, sport really is a uh, reflection of, of, of all of us, whether it's the, uh, uh, the makeup of the, uh, the personalities that are there, their backgrounds, uh, boxing, for example, has been a mirror of the socioeconomic underclass. Yeah. It's been that way for geez, forever. Uh, that it's, it's a way out. And uh, what are you getting out from? What are you trying to achieve for yourself and your family? Uh, aside from you know, fame and fortune. Mm. And, and I, I think it was a, an interesting, clever device to, mm. to use that otherwise you know these things can kind of get a little cookie cutter Yep. yep. you know so and so fights so and so and then so and so wins so and so loses um i mean i mean every era has its uh uh interesting aspects to it but the, you know that one in particular and and what those those men represented in the times uh i i think it was a great idea to do it like that
1: mm. i thought it it was particularly effective at showing for example what Tommy meant to Detroit at that particular yeah. time. And also not only what Roberto Duran meant to Panama, but what Panama meant to Roberto Duran. It really gave yeah. us a good sense, didn't it, of who these people were and where they came yeah. from.
0: Yeah. And, and maybe that's part of the problem um, with, with the issue that you brought up, Eric, that nowadays you don't see as much the connectivity hmm. with, with fighters and, and where they come from. Um, m- maybe in the case of somebody like Javante Davis, where he's the pride of Baltimore. Right. Uh, the Charlo twins are, are, are big in Houston. Right. Um, but in other markets, maybe there's, there's, you know, competition with various sports teams or personalities or whatever the, the distractions might be or that, that uh, don't enable people to focus so much on, on a particular fighter. Hmm. And, and at that time with, you know, Hearns, for example, um, Detroit wanted some, something to cheer about, you know, they, 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 they took a lot of pride in, in him, and uh, he, remember, he w- he was avoided for yeah. a long time until he got a hold of Pepino Cuevas. Pepino Cuevas was supposed to be this killer, and he just destroyed him, just yeah. destroyed Cuevas. And and then he was off to, um, you know, bigger and better things. I I think that win uh, sometimes gets lost in the in the history of uh, of the four. How big it was, uh, Hearns beating Cuevas.
1: David, thank you so much for spending some time to talk to us. It's been great to get your insight. You get extra bonus points for twice referring to our youth. So you'll
0: be
2: invited back.
0: (laughs) You might might have been
2: overestimating how young we are or underestimating how old we are,
0: but we'll take it. No, no, I think you're underestimating how old I am. (laughs) Well, thank you.
1: I appreciate that. Thanks very much
0: indeed, David. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. That will do it for
1: this special edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Just one episode of The Kings, and therefore just one bonus podcast to go. That final episode, on which our guest will be Hall of Famer Al Bernstein, will drop next Sunday night. But first, we'll have a regular episode of the pod coming this Monday morning, looking back at an extremely busy weekend of fights, and previewing the big Tank Davis Mario Barrios showdown on Showtime pay-per-view. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.